0: My dad said I should give you some pens as well, so oh those God. are from him. Yes. <laughs>
1: uh, thank your dad. I
0: will, for sure.
1: Oh, that is so funny.
0: This is Van Collar. Like we're at
1: the West Coast. <laughs>
0: My name is Mo Amir and today on This is Van Culler, I am joined by a British Columbia member of the Legislative Assembly and a BC Cabinet Minister, a first for the show. She represents the riding of Coquitlam Millardville, first elected to office in 2013 where she served as the official opposition spokesperson for mental health and addictions. After the BC NDP took power in 2017, she was appointed as the Minister of Municipal Affairs and Housing. Before that, she served the city of Coquitlam for two terms as a city councillor between 2008 and 2013. She has a BA in Psychology and an MA in Counselling Psychology, both from my alma mater, Simon Fraser University, and fun fact, she once took a social issues class there taught by This Is Van Culler alumnus Dr. Bruce Alexander. Prior to her political life, she had a home-based family therapy practice and was the director of development for SHARE, Family and Community Services, and a counselling instructor and program developer at the University of British Columbia's Life and Learning Centre and Vancouver Community College. She is here. She is the Honourable Minister Selina Robinson, Minister Robinson, How are you?
1: I'm doing great, Mo. It's great to be here with
0: you. I am so thrilled that you're here. And I know this was a few weeks in the making, but I have you here because I want to discuss a very important topic. Housing is obviously the most talked about political topic in this city, maybe in this province. But we often forget that housing is a spectrum, whether you're a renter, a homeowner, an aspirational homeowner, a landlord. The issue of housing can be difficult to discuss if we're just looking at it from our own perspective and our own vantage point. So I want to narrow the focus of our discussion on housing to one end of that spectrum. And that's the most vulnerable segment of society that I want to talk about. I want to talk about homelessness. So I have an ambitious task for us. I want to unpack the scope of homelessness in this province, and I want to have a better understanding of the B.C. government's temporary modular housing program, especially in light of all these protests that we've seen this year. So you're here. I assume you're up for the task. I am. Well, let's start with homelessness and the scope of it. Based on the 2018 report on homelessness count, there are about 7,700 people experiencing homelessness in B.C., So what does that mean to experience homelessness? And can you give me a broad overview of this population? Who are they? How old are they? where are they are they mostly in the lower mainland
1: well well first of all I think it's important to recognize that this is the very first provincial homelessness count that we've had is that right we've never had a, a provincial count before when I when we were in opposition mm-hmm. we kept asking the previous minister of housing for the numbers and they refused to actually do a proper count so you hmm. had different groups doing their own counts uh, but you know counting it differently looking for different data so it's been really hard to understand who are we talking about so this is the very first time that we've ever done on homeless count, wow. and we also understand that it's likely sort of a bit of an undercount. But we do know mm. that that I believe it's about eighty percent of the province has been counted. So wow. okay. that's very very significant. And uh, it's the Minister for Social Development and Poverty Reduction who undertook that work. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, to better understand who are we talking about, sure. and we are learning that the population uh, is it's quite varied. Uh, mm. In different communities, you you find a different different kind of population. But for the most part, people. Who are homeless in a particular community often lived in that community. Oh, really? Okay. So, if you're homeless in Chilliwack, generally you're from Chilliwack. If you're homeless in Kitimat or Terrace, you generally came from that area. So, mm-hmm. we know that uh, between 70 and 80 percent of people who are homeless, their last home was in that community.
0: Okay, I, I, I've skimmed through the report, it seemed to skew towards men there's more men that are homeless or is that
1: well we're seeing from what we can tell we are seeing uh, various populations um, overrepresented so mm-hmm. uh, for example we know that indigenous people are more likely to be homeless mm. than uh, than non-indigenous people we are starting to see in suburban areas um, a different kind of uh, an older population for example in in suburban um, lower mainland suburbia really? it okay. tends to be somewhat older historically hmm. um, Historically, it's been men. I mean, there have been counts, not a not a broad-based count, but when we take a look at historical counts in various communities, uh, we're, we, certainly there's men, but we're starting to see a shift in the demographic.
0: Oh, really? Okay. And I guess that's my next question. I know that from 2014 to 2017, homelessness increased by quite a bit, some estimates as much as 30%. Is it still increasing? Is it still on that Trajectory.
1: Well, well, we'll be getting some more numbers, but it's important that we first do the count again. Sure. We hadn't, let's at least understand where what the starting point is. And and our government, um, you know, right out of the gate, we started with, you know, we're going to deliver 2,000 units of modular uh, housing mm-hmm. uh, with supports because we need to start uh, addressing what's be, been a problem that has been growing for the last 15 years. Sure, like this absolutely. has been growing and getting more and more uh, difficult. And once people, the other thing we know is that once people fall into homeless, Homelessness, mm-hmm. um and they become more entrenched it's harder to get people out oh, so we've okay. certainly heard stories of people uh, from people who have been um homeless and then they no longer feel comfortable sleeping indoors they've they've adjusted or their ability to even sleep in a bed is compromised so they really, they yeah. feel like it doesn't feel right to them so we want to you know if someone's going to be homeless we want to capture them or re-engage them back into housing before it becomes a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's something that we've certainly heard from uh, professionals on the ground who work w- um, within the homeless, uh, with the homeless communities. Um, so when we started, uh, you know, when I became the minister of housing, it was like, okay, what, what tools do we have available to us? Well, let's get this modular housing up and running. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll, it comes with supports. So we're making sure that people have not just, a, you know, the dignity of a bathroom, yeah, um, and a and a bed, but let's make sure that um, there are people around twenty four seven to make sure that they're safe, to make sure that they are getting taking medication, getting to appointments, making sure that they uh, are properly assessed, so that we know exactly should they be seeing a diabetic doctor? Is this is this an issue? Mm-hmm. Um, are they you know they're supposed to be meeting with the nurse regularly to do whatever. Um, What's their hygiene like? Do they need support on hygiene? Do they even know how to clean? We've even come across where people don't know how to keep a place clean. They haven't lived in a home for a number of years. So Mm -hmm. what does that look like? So we're making sure that people have the supports that they need to be successful in their housing.
0: And we will get into a little more specifics on the temporary modular Mm -hmm. housing Mm -hmm. because I do want to unpack that program as well. It is interesting that you've mentioned that one of the things you're seeing is that people who are homeless... In a community, they're usually from that community, and that seems to go against the the thinking that homeless people are being bused into a certain community or or another. And and also, I think it would, it probably gives credence to the idea that if you're going to house the, that population, you should probably house them in that community that they see as home, right?
1: Exactly. I mean, this is where they have friends. This is where they might have, if they are related, connected to a doctor, this is where their doctor is or their,
0: mm-hmm.
1: or their, you know, whatever support system they have, it's in that community. Their friends live there. Um, the other thing I think is really important to, when, when we take a look at, you know, where people are from, um, what we're seeing is that, you know, people fall into homelessness usually be, because the, there's no um, available affordable housing. Like right. that's really what happens, mm-hmm. right? They um, either they um, fall on hard times financially, and so they can't um, maintain rent, mm-hmm. or they the place where they were renting gets renovated, and they can no longer afford it, or you know the building gets torn down, or um, some sort of situation happens. They were in a roommate situation, and that relationship fell apart, and then they mm-hmm. discovered they had no place. And there's a near zero vacancy rate. Yeah, and so even though I know that we're talking today about homelessness, uh, it, it is really important as a government that we look at the entire housing spectrum, because if we could get people housed in the places where they can afford. So if you're living, if you're a student, for example, mm-hmm. um, going to SFU or alma mater, sure, um, and there's not enough student housing, you're going to go to affordable student house, uh, affordable housing, which might be basement suites or really low rents. Right. Um, but that might be where somebody who has a very limited income maybe lived, mm-hmm. but because there's such little affordable housing available in the community, um, not everyone can get housed in affordable housing. And so as a result, somebody winds up missing out because there's not enough there. So we're also focused on developing student housing mm-hmm. so students can, in, in essence, get out of the affordable housing in communities. And then there's affordable housing for people who have limited income. So we're tackling homelessness not just by taking care of people who are most marginalized, but also making sure that we have more affordable housing for them
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, when they're, you know, when they're um, ready to and able to be uh, in independent housing.
0: Sure. And, and going back to that idea of housing being a spectrum, obviously. Most Vancouverites feel like we're in a housing crisis. Mo- most people are struggling with uh, affordability in terms of housing.
1: We are in a housing crisis. We are, we yeah.
0: Are. <laughs> I wanted to be a little more... Um, no,
1: we are. We are. We uh, have a near zero vacancy rate. Yeah. Right. We are absolutely in a housing crisis. For
0: sure. But it's. I feel like it's one of those things where, as it is a spectrum, if we looked at homelessness first, we could have seen the signs of this this coming. Like, if there was more attention paid to that end of the spectrum, you know, years ago, we could have seen the the sign of... You know, preemptively making sure that there, there there will be enough vacancy for the population, right? Well, I'll
1: make a uh, a partisan comment, please, uh. <laughs> uh, because we did see it, and there were yeah. many of us who did. I was on city council in Coquitlam, and mm-hmm. even before I got on city council, um, and what got me into politics was homelessness in Coquitlam. Mm. Um, there were homeless people living down by Coquitlam River. And five community churches in the region wanted to have a cold, wet weather map program that would you know, bring bus people from the river mm-hmm. to various churches around the community. I thought it was a brilliant plan. Um, I wasn't a politician at the time. And I wanted to uh, be a citizen, an engaged citizen. And I thought there's a church around the corner from my house, they were going to be involved. And I said, I want to see this happen. I think it's a good idea. Yeah. And my neighborhood many of my neighbors weren't happy about that. And there was some pushback um, in the neighborhood. And I went to support um, this program because I thought it was a good program. I was glad to see churches step up and and support. Mm -hmm. Government certainly, uh, there was a previous liberal government, they weren't taking any action. This was back in 2007. Mm -hmm. And uh, the city council... It had to provide a permit to allow people to sleep overnight in churches in Coquitlam. And so I, it was my very first time going before councils, my very first overt political act besides voting. Wow. Um that was 2007. And mm-hmm. I was, it was the longest um, public hearing in Coquitlam's history. It went to 3 AM. Hmm. Um, but I, w- I spoke, I gave my five minute speech that you're allowed to give yeah. in, in, in support of it. And, um, and it, for me, it, what what shocked me was here we are in a very middle class community, mm-hmm. um, and we had a population of homeless that surprised me. I didn't expect it, and it was an older population, mm-hmm. people who had lived in affordable housing in Coquitlam, in Port Moody, in Port Coquitlam. And they were living down by the river. And I remember meeting this one woman, Doreen, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: who um, I'm still friends with today. She's no longer homeless, but she was homeless. And she had quite an impactful story about what it meant to her to be homeless and how she found herself uh, without a home and how it destroyed her relationships with her kids and her grandkids. I mean, it's all healed uh, because she was able to get housing, but um, it really... It, it, it surprised me just as a citizen that we had so many people who were homeless. And that was in 2007.
0: Mm-hmm. On on that topic and on, on the topic of people being pushed out of affordable housing, I'm curious about the relationship between addiction and homelessness. Because, again, you see this a lot being espoused in the media in terms of people saying it's not a homelessness problem, it's an addictions problem. Is that true or... Is there another primary factor that drives homelessness? Can, can you, from from your position as the, the housing minister, from your education as well, from your experience, what can you comment on this relationship between the two?
1: Well, I think what's important to know is that every single person has their own story. Sure. So, um, you know, there are 7,700 people. There are 7,700 stories. And I think it's important that we don't lump everybody together. Hmm. There is certainly a relationship between... Um, drug addiction, uh, poverty,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: sometimes mental health, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes all three, uh, and homelessness. and 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 then there's sometimes there's just a lack of, of education, a lack of opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we're seeing, for example, that where there's also some um, challenges is transition points, so children aging out of care, So they might have been foster kids and you turn 19 and here's your, they call them, you know, here's your garbage bag and now you're on your own, but they never paid rent. They don't have savings for first month, last month. When you think about how hard it is to Mm -hmm. transition into uh, adulthood, um, and in my family, we call it adulting because adulting is hard. Sure. And some people have a harder time. And so, you know, as a province, we, um, historically, we've tended to just say, okay, you're 19, you're an adult, now now go adult. Mm -hmm. And- it's not easy. Yeah. So we need to be looking at all of those component parts. So I don't think there's any one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing to remember is if you're homeless, if you um, are uh, have very limited income, if your ability to problem solve is challenged, if you haven't had a decent night's sleep in months, um, if you are afraid all the time... Um, how do you find peace? Yeah. Right? And I, and I promise you, it's not meditation. <laughs> I, I, I mean, yeah, you know, it's... it's so, so how do you get a break from the hardships? Yeah. And so whether uh, it starts with a drug addiction or whether being homeless, influ- you know, influences you to use drugs, it's hard to tease apart. But I also think that no one ever says when they're young... Uh, and cared for in mm. some way uh, well when I grew up I want to be homeless Yeah. or I want to be um, addicted to drugs or that's not anyone's dream I've never come across in my life anyone who ever said that mm-hmm. so I recognize that people have different visions for themselves and that generally is not one of them and so how do we help people get back to um, what their dream was for themselves and, and, and how do we help them get back to participating in society being an engaged citizen
0: sure and I did like that line you said, you know, it's about it's not meditation because even if it was meditation, meditation only works when you are in a safe space and a safe environment and you know, sheltered essentially. And if if there are people with addiction issues or mental wellness issues, the first step to addressing those issues is security. Absolutely. Right? Like it, you can, you can throw all the therapy you want at people, but if there's no security, it's really hard to get that going, right? Exactly.
1: And I've and I've been a family therapist, and and the reality is, unless you have secure, stable, safe place mm-hmm. uh, to go home to to do the work, whatever, and I use air quotes, whatever the work is, yeah, um, it's it's you can't do it unless you have a place to rest your head at night. Mm-hmm. You have the dignity of a toilet. Yeah, you can have a shower in the morning. Um, and you can make a cup of tea in the middle of the night if you can't sleep, like, um, and you feel safe. You have a a key to your door.
0: Um,
1: I can't imagine how else you move forward in your life, (laughs) uh, whether it is going for drug counseling, going to rehab, um, Making um, appointments, even keeping appointments, mm-hmm. it's really hard to keep an appointment if you have no place to leave your stuff.
0: Right? Yeah.
1: Right. Like how you know how are you going to get to what your doctor's appointment if you have no like you you have to protect your stuff Mm -hmm. Uh, so again it's really critical and we have the data to support that Mm -hmm. like we we know that um housing first has been uh been used all around the world uh finland at this point has uh really made a significant dent in their homeless population because they have taken a very significant housing first model Mm -hmm. um, and moved forward so that for the most part they have you know you know, almost no homeless um, yeah. as a result of that. And I'm very proud to say that um, with our program, the Rapid Response to Homelessness program, in Smithers, we closed the only shelter in town oh, because wow. everybody who identified as homeless has a home. Wow. And so, yeah, it was a very proud moment. It's um, Smithers, mm-hmm. I get it, it's small, but. They had a homeless That's a community, yeah. It's a community, and they're very proud to work with us, and I'm very proud to work with them, Um, and we are making progress.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, before we get into the temporary modular housing program, can you just quickly summarize all the other measures that the current B.C. government is undertaking to curb homelessness?
1: Well, huh, that's, how, how much time do we have for this podcast? Because uh, we are doing so much, but I will do my best. I'll
0: give you two minutes for this question because <laughs> so, there's more meat that I want to get into. So,
1: but. I mean, we were the only uh, province that did not have a poverty reduction plan really we were the only province up
0: until 27 up
1: until 27 wow. well we we have it now it took some time for us to develop the plan but it's 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 in play hmm. um so we 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 need to have a plan for reducing poverty we've increased minimum wage right because if if you have you know little education mm-hmm. or minimal education um you need a job to to pay you enough money to at least pay for your necessities shelters and necessities so um the minimum wage hadn't been raised in a long time and we needed to know we needed to get it to a, a reasonable level mm-hmm. um we have uh pro- we're providing education for those kids in care young people in care so that they can access post-secondary education oh wow cool. um, to make sure that they have the best start in life so that we are helping to helping them move into adulthood And they
0: didn't have access before? that w- that
1: didn't exist as a wholesale program we've just Expanded it beyond belief, and it was actually started by one of the um, the Vancouver Island Colleges, and we've expanded that to all 25 post secondary universities. Wow, so that's cool. Again, giving people um, an opportunity to um, get an education that will provide them with, you know, ideally enough income so that they can can pay for things and they can be adults. Sure, right? that's what we that's what we all want. We've also um, developed um, a number of things around just on the housing spectrum.
0: Mm-hmm
1: around, um, you know, we have to build social housing. Mm -hmm. It's been years since, you know, the feds have stepped out. Um, It's falling apart. We have a billion-dollar fund to fix existing social housing to make sure that it lasts for the long term, Mm -hmm. but also making sure that we have um, the kind of social housing that that people need. So, for example, um, women fling violence. Women and children fling violence. Mm. They, too, become homeless if it's not safe. Or women stay in unsafe homes,
0: because there's, nowhere, um, because
1: else there's nowhere else to go. Yeah. So. Um it's the first time in 20 years that we have a fund dedicated to build that kind of housing. We've opened up three, about 300, I think so far there's more to do, but uh, that's um, something that, you know, was important to us. Another group that is absolutely overrepresented in the homeless population um, are indigenous people. Mm -hmm. They're, they're absolutely overrepresented. And when we took a look at what was going on, why are they overrepresented? It's they have subs often substandard housing on reserve. Hmm. Um, So they leave reserve and they be, move into our urban centers and there's not enough housing in urban centers and their support system doesn't exist in urban centers. Right. So we took a very bold step. We're still the only province that said we're going to build social housing not just off reserve, but on reserve as well. Oh, okay. Interesting. Which is usually, a, it's a federal jurisdiction. Yeah. But frankly, I'm tired of waiting for the federal government to to do their thing, yeah. which is to provide housing for people. Um, and so we are committed to all British Columbians, no matter where you, your home is, mm-hmm. to pr- you know work with you um, and your leadership to make sure that you can access the kind of housing that you need. Mm-hmm. So we're working with Indigenous communities, to build housing um, in their communities so that they can house seniors and families and make sure that they have um, adequate housing.
0: Wow. I have to say that is quite refreshing to hear a politician not... Pass the buck to another jurisdiction and actually yeah. take action, because oftentimes you do hear from different levels of government saying, "Well, you know, it's not really our job, and we're lobbying for this, or we're trying to get this done," but to actually go out and do it yourselves, I think that's pretty cool. Well,
1: and I want to give a shout out to my cabinet colleagues because Please. to all of them, because when we we. Um, we're putting this package together, um, I wasn't 100% sure that it would get full support. And mm-hmm. I was so proud when I pitched it, this idea, that not a single person uh, in our caucus or in our cabinet batted an eyelash. Oh, it wow, was, okay. of course, of course we're going to do this. Yeah. Because we know, we know that when we invest in people, in their communities mm-hmm. they can be all they can be and contribute to british columbia in ways that if if we don't invest in them then then we wind up it winds up being a burden in mm-hmm. many ways so why don't we just invest in people where their communities are it's a value that we have as a government we're, uh, we have a, a strong reconciliation um, framework that we're working towards with with uh, Indigenous people here in British Columbia. Mm-hmm. So it's really important that we recognize that they're British Columbians, too, and they need housing. And, and I'm prepared to push the federal government, have been pushing the federal government to join with us to build mm-hmm. the kind of housing that people need on reserve.
0: Let's get into temporary modular housing. In September 2017, as you've sort of touched on already, the B.C. government announced a funding commitment of $291 million to build over 2,000 modular supportive housing units across BC. I believe 66 million was going towards... Building 600 units of temporary modular housing in the city of Vancouver. Can you give me a very brief overview of the program and just explain to me exactly what is temporary modular housing? You did say that th- there's a bed and there's a, a, a bathroom, but just right. the, the basics of what it is. All
1: right, well, I can give you a, a brief description, and it reminded me actually of a senior's housing that my husband's grandmother was in in West Van, and it's sort of a it's a bachelor a little bachelor suite
0: mm-hmm.
1: that uh, his it has sort of a bed and a little table and there's a TV mounted on the wall. Okay. Um, and a little sort of kitchen area with a small apartment size fridge, just okay. like a little bar kitchen, you know, a sink. Um, some will have uh, two burners, mm-hmm. others won't, just it depends on the actual st- structure. There's no, generally no oven, so there's like a toaster oven there for, you know, people to heat up stuff. Sure. Um, and then there's a full bathroom, and in some where uh, they're accessible, they're inaccessible bathrooms, right? So you can just wheel in, there's just a little bit of an oh, edge. Okay. So we recognize that that hmm. is important. And the, so, the, so they look like student housing or seniors' housing, like it, it has that look and feel.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What's different about this is the actual construction. So the modular construction is part of what allows it to be temporary because they make each unit in a factory. And so there's a number of factories that we work with in British Columbia. Oh, interesting! Okay. And they are trucked down, and then they are stacked, sort of like Legos, mm-hmm. and they all get slapped to, well, slapped together. They're actually p- put together like Legos, sure. And they create hallways, and all the wiring goes through the hallways. It's actually very fascinating from a construction perspective. Um, some uh, so you can build this as a temporary uh, with temporary foundation. Mm-hmm. You can also build them as as permanent uh, uh, supportive housing, and we're we're doing some of that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you use a different kind of foundation so that it's it's permanent. And the reason we, we went with a with a temporary is that we have a crisis. We have people who are living in the street. And I want to talk about Surrey when we get a chance because I think, sure. even though I know this is Vancouver, I think Surrey is a fabulous example. It's Metro Vancouver, exact, it's BC, exact, fabulous, that's fine. Fabulous yeah. example. Um, and, and making sure that people, we can act quickly was really important. So we put out a call to local governments and mm. said, listen, if you have the land, even if it's temporary, then we can get you know, a lease to use it for a number of years. Hmm. Um, Let's get these people inside. Let's get do an assessment. Let's see what their needs are. Let's hook them up with the proper resources Mm -hmm. so that we can identify ways to help people get into regular housing. But the only way we're going to be making inroads with people who are homeless is by first getting them into a dry, warm, safe place to sure. sleep that, you know, that, that would better meet their needs. So the temporary modular housing program, um, of the r- rapid response to homelessness was really, um, uh, we moved quickly and 22 local governments stepped up Wow! from like all over Kamloops, Abbotsford, Chilliwack, Smithers, um, so far. Ho- oh, 22 so far. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Um, this was the September 2017 uh, chunk. We had two thousand oh, units. Okay, right. Okay, gotcha. Um, and so that's all spoken for. We have two thousand sixty-four units actually that are all spoken for. Wow. Um, and Van- in Vancouver, we have six hundred mm-hmm. um, and six units. And and in Surrey, in particular, I mean, the reason I, I'm, I I want to talk about Surrey for a bit is because. Can I ask you a yes, question yes, before
0: we get into sure. some specific sites? How long does it take to build these homes? Because you're making it like the modular part makes it sound like it, it can be built very fast. It
1: can be built very quickly. So a typical build, if you get all your permitting done and all that, is like two to four years okay. to build a a traditional, a traditional. But in yeah, modular, we can be up in six months. Wow right and so um and, and it it all depends on how is the land prep so I'm not a I, I'm not a builder, so this is all the things that I've been learning is if the land is ready and it's serviced and we're and it's flat and it, mm-hmm. it, it meets sort of all the specs um we just put in the order the, the factory makes all of these modulars they truck them down and in fact some of them come with furniture already inside really so they Interesting. well because if you're doing sixty units yeah, they just order sixty coaches and sixty yeah, beds, sense. and they put them and they put them in, and yeah. so they sh- they're shipped down with the furniture in them, hmm. and then they're they're put in place, and um and it can go up in just a matter of of just you know a couple of months, mm-hmm. and um and so I mean the benefit of the modular construction is you don't have you know big cranes on site and you you don't have a big um especially if it's an infill Mm -hmm. you don't have a big construction site in fact my my dad was living not far from um the marpole modular that was being built and he went away for a number of weeks and he he called me up and he said selena i just went for a walk and and i expected to see sort of you know in the neighborhood expected cranes and a construction site he said i didn't see anything where is it that you're building this <laughs> this modular in in Marple because it was pretty controversial and yeah. I said, Dad, people we moved people in two weeks ago. Wow! And he said, I don't even know which building it is. I can't tell. And it's like, Dad, then we've done our job. Yeah. Right. He just he had no sense of where it was, and he was only gone for about five weeks.
0: Interesting. And
1: he had no idea.
0: Yeah. Now one one thing I want to touch on is you, you were talking about the province taking lease on certain plots of land. Is, is the land that's used, is that generally land that's owned by the province or maybe already owned by the municipality or is it just a mix? Or? All of the above. Okay. So really,
1: you know, our commitment is to work in partnership with people. Yeah. And so we wanted to make sure that they had, uh, so that because it's a crisis, we wanted to say, okay, what have you got? We have some cases where the where the developer owns the land, for example. They're not ready to develop it, but they've said, you know what? I'm not going to be doing anything for five years, so you can lease it and oh, okay. use it for this. Um,
0: and the province takes on the lease.
1: It, de- it depends on the relationship, so it's okay. it's all they're all de- each each one is different. In many in many cases, it's the local government's land,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so they they bring that forward. Um, the Vancouver Art Gallery, where the new ones to be built, right? Mm-hmm. Right now, there's a there's temporary modular on that site.
0: Oh, okay. Right,
1: and so again, it's sort Oof. of it's, I had no idea. It's well, it's av- it's available land. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're not you know not ready to do anything just yet. There's a plan.
0: Yeah. But
1: in the meantime, can we get people off the street? Sure. Yeah. Um, get Makes them sense. safe place. Yes. You know, we need to move them into other housing. We get that, but it takes a long time to build housing. Mm-hmm. And so let's at least um, start to uh, move people into safer place. Like we did in Surrey. And it's just about a year. It's exactly a year. I think we're just coming up.
0: So, so tell me about Surrey, because yeah, I know I cut you off, but I just yeah. wanted some basic information before we got yeah, in too so, deep. Yeah,
1: and so in Surrey, I don't know if you'd seen the Wally strip, but I have to say um, when I was the opposition um a spokesperson for mental health and addiction was one of the first things i did was take a look at the Wally strip
0: mm-hmm.
1: and i was embarrassed as a british columbian mm-hmm. uh, there were like 200 people living on a site on sidewalks i'm not talking about park yeah I'm talking about sidewalks about four five blocks tent after tent after tent after tent on the sidewalk right where cars were driving by
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and i and it because it's off the main drag right it was one street over um, I think most British Columbians had no idea, but I, I was I was embarrassed. And mm-hmm. so, when the opportunity came to um, to use the rapid response to homelessness program, I called Linda Hepner, who was a previous mayor, and mm-hmm. I was "Like Linda, what are we going to do about about this?" And she said, "Selena, leave it with me." And I want to give her and uh, her council of of the day credit for working so hard with us to mm-hmm. find the land a temporary. Yeah. Um, but th- we were committed to addressing the Wally strip and we worked diligently and sometimes there were hiccups I'd get a text and she'd say can you call me and it's like give me 20 minutes I'm just in a meeting <laughs> and I would call her and say what's up and she said well my people are saying that you're people and it was like alright I'm going to talk to my people you talk to your people let's just fix this I don't care Yeah. and you know we'd connect two hours later and she's like yeah we're good to go we've moved it and it didn't matter where the hiccup was but it's like fix the hiccup. I don't care whose it is, fix it. Right. And, um, last year,
0: um, over, a collaborative approach to government, know, Who right? would have thought? Go <laughs> um,
1: but really over, over just, um, three days, they, uh, worked together with sort of Surrey staff, city staff, RCMP, BC housing staff, uh, Lookout Society. Hmm. They all came together. Uh, they hired professional movers to help people pack their tents and their belongings, really put their name on the box on which which um, a modular site they were going to. Mm-hmm. And they moved people. I mean, they'd done all the assessment, they knew who everybody was, but they they said, we're going to do this in such a dignified and respectful way. Yeah, And there was one story that always stayed with me of a mover went in to help a woman pack up her, an older woman. She'd fallen into homelessness. She could no longer afford to pay rent and she had her sweaters stacked in the corner of her tent and her costume jewelry matching each of the sweater sets okay in her tent yeah and they carefully helped her pack that up to bring her into modular into her new home and couldn't believe it we've had one fellow who talked about what it meant for him to be in modular this is after being on the wally strip he said well now i can go for look for work because my wife has cancer and I couldn't leave her alone. It felt it would be unsafe for her to be alone in the tent. Hmm. So now that she has a safe place, I'm going to go look for work. Wow. And it's like, the, it's like, how you know, how, 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 how can you not sort of understand and appreciate how important this is? So mm-hmm. um, over three days, we moved 170 people into homes hmm. and, you know, There was only one business that complained that we moved people... Off of the streets because they, a lot of their business came from people who are homeless. It was a little corner convenience store who n- no longer saw so foot d- traffic. So does
0: that street and that strip, I should say, that strip of homeless people that doesn't exist anymore. No, now? it's gone. Wow,
1: it's gone. Three days and it, it was done. <laughs> right, and I and uh, to me, it's like that's what governments do. Right? Yeah. You You see a problem and you say, okay, how are we going to work together to address this? Because I I know that British Columbians don't want to see this. Yeah. And don't want to know that. There are people who might have been, you know, they're a a shopkeeper, might have been a guitar teacher, Mm -hmm. uh, someone's son, someone's daughter, someone's aunt, uncle, father, um, living on the streets.
0: I mean, intuitively, and I know it's a lot more complicated and nuanced than this, but intuitively, when we think about the homeless population and what to do with that problem housing the homeless seems such like such a basic answer. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean?
1: <laughs> well, they're homeless, what should we do? Give them a home. Yeah. 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 but I but but we're giving them more than that. I think um And, and
0: let's get into that yeah. because and before we get into that actually, I'm I'm curious what does a what does someone have to do to qualify for temporary modular housing?
1: They need to be homeless. That's it. That's it.
0: Yeah, there's no process where they have to apply, or there's
1: no application. Although what we do, we think it's really important um, to make sure that they will fit in with the with the community and that we understand what their needs are. So, mm. for example, why Surrey worked so well was because we we took we had we took the time, but we had the time mm-hmm. to to get to know people, like not me, but people on the ground. Right? Sure. Yeah they understood who was who and what their needs were. So that when they said, you know what, we have five different sites, we have 170 people, how are we going to create community Mm -hmm. in these buildings, right? How are we going to make sure that it works? So it's really not any different than when you ask teachers around, okay, you've got 170 kids that have to go into various classrooms. How do we decide who goes into which classrooms? Well, Johnny and and George should never be together because they fight all the time. It wouldn't be good. Well, they sort of took the same stance Mm -hmm. around making the determination about how to place people, how to house them in a way that would get their needs met. Well, you know, this person has particular challenges and so it'd be best to put them with this person because they're really good friends and that person helps manage that other person's behavior. Yeah. So in, in, that's what's why it's worked so well in Surrey. So it's important that we take some time to get to know people, understand what their needs are, do a proper assessment so we we, we can make sure that we also can deliver the right services that they need or that they have easy access to the services. So mm-hmm. some people should stay in a more downtown area where, I mean, when we're talking urban environments. Sure. Um, others maybe less so. So understanding what people's needs are. I mean, and we all do that. We all decide... When you have mo- when you have enough money, you can decide where you're going to live. Sure, yeah. Uh, based on what your needs are, so we try to we tried to do that uh, when we worked in Surrey. So it's important to understand who is it, um, and how to make this community work well.
0: So let's talk about the the needs of those communities mm-hmm. and, and the people that are being housed. This term wraparound services gets tossed around a lot. And I'm not sure if I've ever really heard a proponent for wraparound services or a critic of wraparound services explain what that means. So I'm curious, and and I want to ask you, like – what does that mean? What's the understanding of it? And it, and are wraparound services provided, or maybe something else yeah. is provided at the temporary modular housing site? Wraparound
1: services comes with the program, okay. and we work with the community housing sector that mm-hmm. has professional staff that um, make sure that you know that works with people to support them to be successful in their housing. Okay. Different people will need different things, and so that's why the assessment is so important to mm-hmm. make sure that we understand what is this particular person's needs and is this the right place for them to get their needs met so that you know they they are going to be successful because we want them to be successful so um so there's always staff present 24 7 it's the requirement that when we work with the community housing sector those are the nonprofit providers they actually operate the buildings okay they're responsible for the maintenance uh, but also making sure that it's staffed so that there's always somebody there to help um the the um, the tenants the people who live there who have their home there make sure that you know they have a relationship with them that mm-hmm. if they're having a bad day that there's someone for them to talk to if uh, they un- you know the the staffing will understand that you know it's important to leave this per- person alone uh, when they first come back from their doctor's appointment because they're whatever they're they're cranky um, sure. and so but again like it's it's about how do we support them and if uh, and another tenant, for example, we have to check on them regularly because we want to make sure they take their insulin because if they don't take their insulin, then they're cranky. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they're not always very good at that. And that's that's the work that they're doing is helping them become responsible for making sure they get their insulin. So there's staff there to make sure that that happens, make sure that they get to their appointments or invite appoint, you know um, resources and services in. So, for example, that might be we have a number of people who are ready to think about work. Yeah. So we're going to find a resource to make sure that they have a resume and that we can support them or hook them into government services that exist in the community and make sure that uh, that it's a good fit. So the wraparound service is about having staff mm-hmm. there to make sure that people's needs can get met and understanding what those needs are. And we also need to recognize that people's needs change over time.
0: Sure, yeah, So absolutely. what you
1: might have needed when you first came might not be what you need four months later.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So having those services change over time is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, just to, there's one um, housing project where uh, we, it was the, uh, the housing provider said um, about two months after people moved in, they all mo- almost all of them had to go back and get their photo ID redone. Why is that? Because they no longer looked like homeless oh, people.
0: Oh, yeah, <laughs> that makes sense.
1: Right, and so uh, as part of wraparound service, there's at least hmm. one meal a day. That is provided communally, so
0: this is an every temporary modular per, housing yeah, site. Yeah, pretty pretty much. Okay. Uh,
1: so recognizing that it's it's about how do you connect with others? Food brings people together, it creates community. It's a way to check on people. Mm-hmm. Um, so we recognize the value, and we all agree breaking bread together is a really good way to build community. And so they've taken that on there too.
0: So it sounds like to me that every temporary modular housing site will have different services. But tailored around the community that's there.
1: Yeah, it's all—it's always about the people. They're yeah, at the center of every decision. It's not a cookie decision. cutter approach. Absolutely of, You have this not. service at every. No, because it depends, right? If you have an older population uh, that is perhaps more frail, um, you might not be doing job stuff. Sure. Right. If they're a senior on a very limited income, you're not going to do job stuff. Yeah. But you're going to make sure that they—they're getting their pension. Yeah. Right? You're going to make sure that the paperwork is done. You're going to be making sure that they get to, that their eyes get checked mm-hmm. so that if they need glasses, that they're, they're doing that because if they don't have glasses, then they can't go grocery shopping because they can't read or, you know, like th- those are the kinds of things that w- we need to remember for every single person that we house, there is a story mm-hmm. and there is a set of challenges. And so it's important that we have the staff there 24 seven who can, who know who these people are and can make sure that their needs are met.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Going back to this idea of how people get into temporary modular housing, uh, another term that gets tossed around quite a bit, which I don't know if – I mean, I don't, not, I'm don't i not really familiar with it, so I'm assuming a lot of other people are not familiar with it and don't know what it means. What is low barrier? What does that mean?
1: Well, we don't use that language okay. anymore.
0: Well, um, the people in the media do, they, apparently. They, they do.
1: And it's really <laughs> And I apologize if that no, was no, offensive. No, no, I no, mean. no, no, it's not. It's not because it just sort of like – so like I, I always say, so what does that mean? um and so from my perspective and i think from government's perspective well i know from government's perspective it's people have different needs mm-hmm. at different times in their life so mm-hmm. how do we house people first and then help them take care of their needs yeah sometimes um they're using drugs mm-hmm. and they're using it on the street they're using it in our parks they're um and so as a result their behavior is is not necessarily problematic, but it makes us uncomfortable because they're sleeping in the middle of a sidewalk,
0: Yeah.
1: Right? So how do we get them housed so A, they have the dignity mm-hmm. of, of home, but B, make sure that they're safe and that we can help them come to an understanding about that this behavior is not helpful to them so that they can make other choices. Mm-hmm. And so how do we do that? And so we start with where people are at. Mm-hmm. If you start the other way around and say you can come here, but you need to do this and this and this and this and this, or you can't do this and this and this and this and this. They're not going to come to the housing. And yeah. I frankly don't want to build housing and not have people in it. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not the, the idea. And so um, the, the philosophy is to start where people are at. Mm-hmm. And that's really important. Otherwise, um, it's not helpful. And so it's the housing first model.
0: Sure. And so these temporary modular housing sites... They do have, or maybe some of them have safe injection premises as well, and if that's what
1: they need, right? Yeah. So again, it's 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 dependent on who's there and what's needed.
0: Mm-hmm. Are there any conditions where someone might effectively be kicked out of temporary modular housing?
1: So we do we do ask them to sign an agreement to mm-hmm. be a good. Um, I'll use the word a good a good. Member of the community, yeah right and so you know th- there's expectations of behavior you're not going to pick fights and you're not going to have big parties like there's some sure, yeah. some expectation um, and and you know as I, as I talk with our housing providers, pretty much everyone agrees to it mm-hmm. um, and they're grateful like they are so grateful. I actually brought some can I read you a letter from somebody Please. yeah because i i um, sort of as minister of housing i'm not I don't have as much access to the people that we're helping, so I depend on on others to sure. to, to communicate with me about the difference that we're making. So this was one that says, "Thank you. this." They just moved in. Thank you, all whom were involved in making these rooms a reality for all of us. I recognize that all of you worked tirelessly to make uh, to make the deadline, and I'm sure that was no easy feat. I'm so very grateful for all the hard work and time you put into all. God bless you all. Of you and yours, and Merry Christmas. This was wow. just before Christmas that they we wanted to get them into their homes before before Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean we've got some other some other kind of housing, but this is one. Um, it's a it's a it's a it's a photo of a of a so, child's drawing.
0: Oh okay that.
1: Um, is a, a, a couple uh, with a rainbow over their heads and the sun shining and clouds and a house. And then there's like what looks like a, a girl with a snail and a dog. I don't know, maybe I'm not sure if that's a snail. But it says, welcome to our neighborhood, False Creek Elementary School. And this is in, um, this is a, a young girl created this artwork for the tenants at the Astute Street Modular Supportive Housing Building when it opened. The original is hanging in the um, in the building um, I have a copy of it in my office. okay cool uh, um, because I asked for it because I, I again, it's a good reminder. and when I shared this with John Horgan, uh, the premier, and cabinet, I wanted them to see that there are people who understand the value. it's often children, which is mm-hmm. which is great, but that there are people who understand the value and know that we all have a responsibility to be good neighbors absolutely and to um, help people be successful in their housing
0: mm-hmm. It sounds like you're doing great work. I have a question about the expansion of the program. I know that the city of Vancouver wants a commitment to double what's being done or what's being done. Is this program expected to expand? I mean, even when we look at the number of units that have been built compared to the homeless population and the count, like they don't completely match yeah. up. So can we expect more Absolutely. temporary modules?
1: Yeah, and so, so when we announced uh, this program, That was in September of 2017, right? We formed government in August, July, August, July, Mm -hmm. July. Um, And then uh, we came out, we just right out of the gate said, we're going to be doing this. And it was so popular uh, because we said we're going to take three years to do it. Mm -hmm. And it was like all scooped up by local government so quickly. It was like, The demand was is pretty significant. Mm -hmm. Um, So, as part of budget 2018, we committed to do 2,500 more over 10 years. Okay, Uh, some of them will be will be permanent supportive. So it just depends. You know, um, it's a slightly different program, but it's the same idea. So, Mm -hmm. um, the and in 2019, uh, we we got funding for an additional 200. So we still have another. So all told, there's 4,700. Wow. right and so we recognize that there's that there's demand but I think it's also really important to acknowledge that we also need to prevent homelessness mm-hmm. and that's where we're really turning our mind to so okay. we did this rapid response um you know we needed to get people off of the wally strip we need to get people into homes it's Um, like I said, 22 communities, Port Alberni, Parksville, um, Chilliwack, Abbotsford, like everyone is experiencing homelessness. It's Mm -hmm. been coming for a very long time. So we need to have some resource. We're also building a whole bunch of other kinds of housing, affordable housing Mm -hmm. that's going to be coming online and other 37,000, well, just shy, 35, 35, 35,000 homes, uh, so include student housing, uh, housing for women fleeing violence, indigenous housing, and affordable rental. So in, in
0: what time period?
1: Over ten years. Okay. Right. Yeah. But we we've started moving on that. We sure. have thousands of units. In fact, we have twenty thousand homes either um, in progress being built mm-hmm. or open.
0: Oh wow. Uh, okay. In, in twenty
1: months. That's yeah. how quickly we've been moving on a h on a number of different fronts. Hmm. But we also need around just around the home homeless piece, we need to keep people housed. Um, and so we recognize that, that that's, um, critical. And so, uh, we've put together a homelessness action plan. Minister Simpson is work is, that's his work. Mm -hmm. Um, we've got a rent bank that he's opening up that, you know, we're, we're, he's working on the details now in terms of we've committed to doing that Mm -hmm. um, so that, you know, if you're short a few hundred dollars, um, over, let's say a couple of months, your landlord can ask you to leave because you can't make rent, right? And yeah. so, but if it's but that's if if it's a few hundred dollars keeping you from homelessness, you know, like i I'd, can we loan you a couple hundred dollars and keep you
0: housed? And exactly. what would that look
1: like? So there's a few very small as opposed models. to
0: going for like a short-term loan or getting caught in that right. trap, right? Well, some
1: people can't get a loan. They yeah. don't have if you don't have an asset, you can't get a loan.
0: Right. right? I was thinking of those like payday places oh, and the bad, extreme I, yeah. interest yeah
1: bad, and it becomes a vicious cycle so mm-hmm. so that's work that we're that we're currently undertaking we committed to that in in budget 2019 and so the details of that are being worked out yeah. but also looking at the transition points in people's lives so when young people age out of care and they get their garbage bag full of stuff at the age of 19
0: mm-hmm.
1: how do we make sure that they have housing and that they can keep housing so is there something that government needs to do around those transition points so um, even when people go into let's say treatment, right? If you have a drug problem and you decide and you're housed and you decide okay, I'm going to go into treatment for the next th- 2 months.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How do you keep your housing if you're not there, right? right. You go into treatment yeah. and then you have to find housing when you come out. Yeah. We have a zero vacancy rate. Mm-hmm. So, how, so again, you can see how someone falls into homelessness. Mm-hmm. And so we need to start looking at how do we do that? How do we help keep people housed? Mm-hmm. Um, and what's the role? And so we're starting to turn our mind to that because I think it's really important that we um, reflect on how to keep people housed. Same thing with seniors, for example, right? Like mm-hmm. they're on a pension, they're on a fixed income. Um, rents keep rising. Uh, and that's why we changed the, the cap right? Instead of 2% plus rate of inflation, it's just rate of inflation. Mm -hmm. Because- Pensions aren't keep you know pensions aren't keeping up with that wages aren't keeping up with that. Exactly. Yeah. So how do we um, keep rents affordable for folks? And how do we? So we, there's a whole bunch of things that we need to still be doing. And so as I was saying at a conference, I was asked to speak at last week in Quebec City at the Federation of Canadian Municipalities is we hit the ground running.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We haven't stopped, and we don't plan on stopping anytime soon because it is a crisis, and we still have a lot more work to do.
0: Yeah. Well, as a, as a citizen, as a taxpayer, I can tell you, and I, I appreciate that. And, and honestly, as someone who is a little critical of the, we just need to build more supply – I appreciate this nuanced view and this view that housing is a spectrum, and you have to target certain areas of that spectrum in different ways, much more than just oh, we just need to build more condos or whatever. <laughs> oh yeah, so,
1: <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it, I mean, it's the, the way the frame that I that I use is like we need the right supply in the mm-hmm. right community. So, it, so I'm not disputing that we that we, don't, that we have a supply issue. We do, mm-hmm. but it's about right supply. And when I was a city councilor in Coquitlam. I remember seeing all these 600 square foot condos come before us for decision uh, in, for land use plan, right in the city center, right yeah. where the SkyTrain is. And I remember saying to the to developers, saying like, "Wait a minute! All I'm seeing are 600 square feet. Where families gonna live?" And their response was always, "Well, that's the market demand. The market <laughs> demand." And I'm going, "Okay." And it's like, "But what market? Yeah. Who are you building for?" And there certainly was a market. It was an investor market. Yeah. Um. Yes. First time home buyer, sure, but absolutely an investor market. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kept saying, well, where are families going to live? And and also I kept saying, and where are people going to downsize to? Because that's another market. Um, when my in-laws were looking to downsize from a very large suburban home in North Ann, right. um, there was no product for them anywhere. There was no availability. And I'm not even talking affordability because they were downsizing. Sure. And there was no, and they d- couldn't live in 600 square feet. There was no way. Yeah. They lived in a 4,000 square foot home. <laughs> yeah. There was just, it was going to be impossible. Yeah, And so, I mean, they found a place, but it was on um, indigenous land. And so, sure. so we're missing a whole bunch of housing, like the spectrum, and certainly in Coquitlam. The choices really, for the most part, are Mm single-family or 600-square-foot condos. Not much in the middle. Not much in the middle. And we need a lot of that. So again, I come back to right supply Mm
0: -hmm.
1: in the right community. And so one of the things we did as a government to help address that was bring forward legislation that requires all local governments to do a housing needs assessment. Okay. Every five years it needs to be updated and there's 50 data points that they all have to report out on and that takes a look at what's your current stock? Mm-hmm. Um, how much of it do you have? What's the condition of it? you know, Sort of generally speaking, when was it built? Gives you an idea. And also what's your growth projections? This was never done before? No, no. And so I want you to know, so so when I was making land use decisions as a city councillor, I had nothing in front of me that told me what we needed to focus on, right? It was driven by the market. Yeah. But the market only cares about the market. It doesn't care about people. Mm -hmm. And I think as politicians, we should be caring about people. That's who we represent. And so having a housing needs assessment... Um, Not only do you have to do it, but it has to be public so Mm -hmm. the development community can see, so they know, and it should theoretically drive decisions that local governments make about how to do land use planning. Sure. It allows uh, researchers, academics, and the province to look at all of the data to see, well, what are our social housing needs Mm going to be? Going forward, so we can predict, we could prepare, we could plan, and we can respond appropriately to the housing needs uh, from a provincial government perspective. Um, but local governments can also do their part, and they have been, and they should be. Um, but it also means that the development community, the private sector, can say, "Oh, it looks like they're going to be needing. They're going to have a whole bunch of downsizers. Yeah. So let's build product for that group because people generally like to stay in their the communities where they raise their kids.
0: Mm-hmm. Um. It just boggles my mind that, you know, the province has always worked with municipalities and we've had ministries of housing before, but you would not have this fundamental information available in a way to optimally make decisions like that's mind-boggling me me. too Uh, (laughs) uh,
1: for me too um but i have to tell you how much easier it is yeah when you as as community now i'm gonna use vernon as an example they have a social planning table that is very well attended
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: when we made this announcement for rapid response to homelessness they had every so their their city council their police their their, all their social service agencies—they were all at the table saying, "Oh yeah, this is a priority for our community." And they were saying, "Yeah, we know we need 98 units." of yeah. this housing. And it was like, it was so much easy, easier for us to respond as a provincial government to say, oh, okay. There was no infighting about who and how much, or no, this is a priority. No, this is a priority. So, because usually you, you back away and say, well, you guys decide what you need and then yeah. we can respond. But they were already doing that. The housing mm-hmm. needs assessment should be able to help us do that. Um, the other thing that's a driver uh, is uh, when we invest in transit, mm-hmm. right? You know, the federal and provincial government in particular, we we're, we're putting a a lot of resource into into transit and making sure that that's where we're getting the densities as as not something that previous governments have required of local governments. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's really, really important. Um, So I think it's production way. I think it's production way. Um, Or is it Lake City? I always get them mixed up. But there's one of them. I think maybe it's Lake City where I'm I'm, I'm on SkyTrain all the time one or two people get on one or p- two people get off every single time and it's like cuz nobody lives there yeah and it, <laughs> it makes no <makes> sense <laughs> me crazy right there should be density there i mean it's starting to come but it should have been there 20 years ago so sure. and in this so uh, and this is where um when when John Horgan asked me to be the minister for municipal affairs and i was thrilled to do that because i that had been part of my critic portfolio um he said also you know minister of housing and i thought Okay, and he says, "Oh yeah, and Minister responsible for Translink." And I thought, "Oh," and I like to tell people, like it wasn't punishment really to have these three files. It's really about recognizing the interoperability of these three files, mm-hmm. right? But you need to work with local governments to deliver on housing, and transit infrastructure can drives where people live. C-
0: can we talk about some of the local governments that you've had to work with? Sure. And we, I'm just, I'm not to cut you off. You
1: want to talk about Burnaby?
0: I want to talk about Maple Ridge. Oh. <laughs> I have family in Maple Ridge, and they're well aware of the the tent city that existed. And of course, you know, they're concerned. That's their community. They've been there for 15 years. And when they heard about a second te- temporary modular housing site, they were pretty supportive of the idea. Because mm-hmm. to them, again, it makes sense that why would you want a tent city? Why would you want these people that require services out there in the elements? You It would Better to have them housed. Better to have them with services. But in Maple Ridge, we saw so much resistance to this secondary, the second site, I should say. Why do you think that is?
1: Well, I think it's important to tell sort of the full story uh, because there was resistance to the first one as well. Okay, fair enough. So um, this tent city has been around for f- for four years, mm-hmm. and the previous government struggled. With it, mm-hmm. and a, a number of councils have struggled with it too, and so I think it's important to recognize that it's it's um, not uniquely challenging because I think you there are people in every community that are very are anxious about it because it's okay. new, and I appreciate that um, because new is hard. You don't you you, know, you want to make sure that you understand, um, and so. Um,
0: I think having concerns is also fine. There should be nothing wrong absolutely. with voicing your concern. Absolutely. But just the, again, like when my family in Maple Ridge understood it, um, they they understood like, okay, this seems like the best thing to do. It and is no the best one, thing. No one was coming up with any alternatives. So I'm just curious, having concerns is fine, but why was the resistance so yeah. angry? I,
1: I don't know. I can't speak for that for that community. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I can say is that we've worked in 22 other, 21 other communities and we haven't seen this uh, in Mm -hmm. in this way. And so.
0: So Maple Ridge was unique in that
1: way. Absolutely. Absolutely unique. Um, And other communities, yes, we had concerns. I mean, I can certainly speak to the Marpole situation where, you know, the community came, came out in concerns about having this kind of housing in their community. Mm -hmm. Uh, We listened to them, the city, you know, listened to them. Um, we made sure that everybody understood what was happening. We made sure that we have community advisory committees that someone from the community can sit on with RCMP, with the housing provider, um, with someone from the city to make sure that there's a you know good neighbor policy in place that everyone understands their role, um, and that if there are problems or concerns that we get they, that they get addressed before mm-hmm. um, they turn into something that you know where neighborhoods are you know are really. You know, upset that we'd rather address problems as they arise, mm-hmm. um, and so, for example, uh, and Marpole was pretty—I don't know if you remember—was pretty vocal. Sure, yeah. Um, as a as a community, in fact, there were some homeless people who didn't want to move in there because they felt they were afraid of the neighbors, hmm. which broke my heart. Yeah. Um, we learned, and so uh, from that, we, we saw certainly enrichment. For example, mm-hmm. similar um, similar concerns being expressed, and so we really um, from the experience in Richmond really helped inform us about the importance of really taking the time, having small group dialogues with people, with neighbors Mm -hmm. so that they understood that they could ask the questions, um, that they could get answers that would help them understand what was happening in their neighborhood. Um, and so we were able to always work with the communities and work with the local government to make sure that we were able to deliver. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and Maple Ridge is a very unique, I'll call it an outlier, has a very different perspective. Um,
0: one of their concerns was that uh, police activity, and I guess the, they're conflating that with criminal activity, increases at these sites. And they kept citing NIMO as an example and citing the fact that the Nanaimo RCMP created a task force to address the 250% spike in crime in that area. Can you speak to that sure. concern?
1: Sure. Well, Nanaimo was also a unique situation, mostly because we had six weeks— to decamp uh, a significant encampment that had grown over the summer. Mm-hmm. And remember my Surrey story, mm-hmm. where we had time to interview people, make sure, assess people, make right. sure we had the right you know, services in place. We didn't have that luxury, I'll call it a luxury, in, in Nanaimo. Mm-hmm. We had six weeks. And so that meant um, getting people out of a tent city that had grown significantly over a very short period of time and move them into modular housing and then do the assessment
0: interesting and so it's
1: okay. it's yeah. it, 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 so it, it's it's settled down significantly we've been able to identify you know make sure that we have the right people in the right mix mm-hmm. um, so that we can create community because that's the part that really that works well so Nanaimo is actually not the great example mm-hmm. because it's what happens when you are rushed through a process. But I invite everyone to take a look at the twenty other communities yeah. that we've worked in, and um, and how it when you have a council that's on board, when you have the time to work together with the neighborhood, when you can engage. Uh, the community, when you can engage all the supports, mm-hmm. you know, including the health authority resources, including the social service sector, including all the various partners. Sometimes it's the faith communities that take a role. Sometimes it's the high school students that take a role. Marple, the high school students have been fabulous. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're from Churchill. um all of that creates community and allows people to be successful. So you need time to do that. When we have to react to a situation because it's a crisis, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, it's harder. Frankly, it's harder. Things have to move faster. And so we don't get to put all the things mm-hmm. in place that we hope to put in place mm-hmm. right from the get-go.
0: And so that was going to be my next question of, you know, what makes a temporary modular house uh, housing site challenging? And it sounds like when you, when you have to rush through it and it is... There's much more pressure to get people housed. That's really the challenge, as opposed to having that time to have that holistic assessment. Right. Okay. Yeah,
1: and that that assessment is critical. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely critical. So when we have, let's say, a local government, you know, make a make a unilateral decision to shut down a camp, uh, we had that. In, well. The, it was, um, I think it was a fire commissioner. I'm not quite sure in, in, in Nanaimo, but we certainly had that in, in Maple Ridge. It become, it creates a crisis situation where then people are scattered into the community, mm-hmm. right? So you have people localized, let's say 60 or 100 people localized in one place. Um, we can bring in porta-potties to make sure that people are using appropriate um, utilities. Sure, we can uh, make sure that we send in um, some healthcare supports that um, we can, you know, policing supports to make sure that it functions as best it can. Mm-hmm. Not that anybody wants a tent city. It's not anything that I want, um, but we don't have enough housing. Yeah. We don't have enough affordable housing. So this is what happens. And so um, by by unilaterally saying, well, we're just going to shut down the camp, you have now. 60, 70, 100 people who have nowhere to go. Yeah. And they're then out into the community um, and with no uh, services, mm-hmm. with no supports, with uh, no access to anything. And I, perhaps some have a fantasy that they'll just leave, but that's not what happens.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's
1: not what happens. And I don't think that's good for the community. Well, and especially
0: when you when you, at the start of the program, when you were saying that, most, peop- most homeless populations are from that neighborhood yeah. or from that community, right? Yeah, so. they're going to stay. Yeah. <laughs> so they'll
1: go out to the river, they'll go out to parks, um, they'll, they'll find, you know, other places to go, but mm-hmm. it's not, it's not ideal. And so my preference is always to work with local governments, mm-hmm. to work with housing providers, to work with the social service sector um, and say, okay, how are we going to address this? Um, we have some resources. I mean, we've never had a government ever in the history of this province who's coming forward with $7 billion uh, for housing over Mm -hmm. the next 10 years. And particularly with this rapid response to homelessness program. And we're saying, all right, let's get these people housed so that we can get to work, Mm. getting them healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's a that's a good place to start work with us, and that's what we're asking local governments to do and communities to do with us.
0: Absolutely, and and fair enough. What is the status of the second Maple Ridge temporary modular housing site? Is that going through? It is going through. We
1: have um, the the uh, preparation, the site preparation. I think is. Pretty much done. Okay. Uh, and uh, I expect to see the, the actual modules um, coming very shortly. And, and we're expecting it to be open uh, October, I believe.
0: Excellent. I got to let you go soon, but I have two really quick questions. Okay. They're going to be political, partisan, okay. however you want to look at them. All right. <laughs> I've found it quite fascinating that you've been personally derided by publicly elected officials, whether that's the mayor of Maple Ridge, your official opposition party, the BC Liberals. Andrew Wilkinson's chief of staff, Spencer Spruill, tweeted that you throw people into boxes and walk away. Hearing you for the last hour talk about temporary modular housing, taking you at your your word, it doesn't sound like that's the case. And what I find interesting about this is the B.C. liberals don't really have a great record on homelessness. Like it, no, it, they it, don't. It, it, they have it, a terrible record on homelessness, yeah, let's be clear. It, it ballooned under under their uh, their government. Why do you think that they are trying to bait you into a rhetorical firefight over this issue where they don't have too much to talk about either?
1: Well, as a rule, I tr- try not to understand. Well trying to understand BC liberal perspective doesn't work for me <laughs> because I don't understand it. And so trying to understand it is like, I have work to do. Yeah. Just get out of the way. Um, because you've screwed it up. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're here because you weren't paying attention. Uh, you, you, or you didn't care, or you had other things to do and other priorities. and that's not acceptable to me as a as a citizen, just as a British Columbian or as a human being. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's so i I don't pay too much attention, frankly, to it only because I have work to do, and I know that um, not, not only the people that we're housing are grateful and that we're making a difference. Um someone asked me how many lives have been changed as a result of the of this program. Mm-hmm. Um we've opened about fourteen. A little bit, I think, a little bit more than fourteen hundred, and I said fourteen hundred lives.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? These these are people who no longer have to figure out where to go to the bathroom. Yeah, they have their own toilet. So, I think um, so. When that sort of stuff happens, I just shrug and it's like, dude, we're we're making things happen. And I know that British Columbians are proud
0: of. Can that. you say that in the ledge? Like, dude, dude yeah we're oh, making, yeah we're yeah, trying yeah, to yeah. make things happen yeah
1: oh yeah I can say hey dude <laughs> just get out of the way yeah I, I can say that
0: <laughs> it's what's most disheartening for me um is that this conversation around homelessness has now been overly politicized and instead of having instead of understanding the things that we we can do and the things that we can support in our communities it's in a lot of ways, being devolved into these tribal BC Liberal NDP camps uh, in terms of how people look at it, right?
1: I I mean, I think it's unfortunate, but the only people politicizing it are the BC Liberals, right? I think, um, you know, we're working really well. The Green Party is absolutely on board with what we're doing. Um, I've been in communities all over this province where we're opening up these homes. I'm hearing from mayors all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, they are so proud of the work that we're doing. And in fact, I was just at the FCM last week um, to, to talk about this program and uh, expected, you know, I was told to expect about 100 people. And I was thinking, okay, well, the British Columbian representatives aren't gonna come because they know me and they know the work. Mm-hmm. There were th- over 300 people in that room. They had to bring in more chairs. Wow. Most of the people there were British Columbian local elected folks. And they were, I think, proud um, mm-hmm. from what I could tell. They they were thrilled to have a provincial government that's working with them. I mean, local governments have been on the front lines, yeah. you know, holding holding you know the hand and the bag that um, of the fallout from homelessness, right? So the firefighting costs, the policing costs. I mean, they they feel all of that, mm-hmm. um, but they they can't alone deliver on the housing. And so here we are saying, you know what? Listen, we have money for the housing. Let's work together and solve this, like we did in Surrey, like we've done in Smithers, like we're doing in so many other communities, in Mm -hmm. Vancouver, 606, in Richmond, in, in Abbotsford, in Chilliwack, um, other communities are calling us saying we'd like some of that. We'd like some of that. I've got councillors saying we're looking for land, Selena. We're looking for land. And it's like <laughs> good. Let me know when you've got something because yeah. we've got, we've got people in your community who are homeless. So mm-hmm. let's do it. Kelowna has been outstanding in terms of a, a partnership, uh, Kamloops. Like we we are delivering on housing in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I think British Columbians. Um, are are proud of what we're doing and we need to keep doing it because to stop now um, would really be a shame because we are, we've started, we can see we're starting to make progress, but we need to keep it up.
0: Mm-hmm. I completely agree. And I don't know why any municipality would turn, turn that down or turn down the program and, and being a part of that. Like it seems like such a, a gimme from the province, right? That you just have to kind of coordinate to find the land and every community has homelessness, why not take advantage of that? Yeah, right? and every
1: and, and so many the are doing. Program, I mean. Yeah, yeah, and so many are doing their part. Um, mm-hmm. You know, r- you know, sort of right out the valley. Um, we certainly all over the, you know, parts, you know, all, of, all over the island. Uh, we're seeing in the north. We've gotten high to Gwaii on, and on. on In Queen Charlotte, uh, Prince Rupert, Um, homelessness exists right across this province, and so Mm -hmm. having a resource there. And again, we know it's not enough because we need to build affordable housing in a traditional uh, uh, frame, so stick, uh, stick frame, of course, uh, construction. But making sure that there's uh, opportunities for people once, you know, they're stabilized and they are no longer um, struggling with some of the challenges that they can live without the supportive component of the supportive housing. Mm -hmm. They can move in and we're seeing success. We've certainly had, I wanna say it's in Nanaimo, but I could be wrong, but I I, I recently saw a report where, you know, they've had five people who've moved into market housing. Affordable market, yeah. It happens all the time, right? They just need a couple of months under their belt. Um, and, and part of the work is helping them find permanent housing that gets them sort of back into the mainstream. Um, we have stories of people who get jobs Is co- one guy's a cook, another one is a building services worker. Mm-hmm. So they find jobs, they make money, they pay tax, and then they move yeah. into, into housing when, when they can find it. So we know that there's some more work that we need to do, mm-hmm. but the idea is that, um, the most vulnerable people we needed to, we needed to act quickly and we did.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I have to say I appreciate you being here. We covered a lot. If people want to learn more, if they want to get even more in the weeds, where do they learn about the ongoing temporary modular housing initiative? How do they follow you? Whether that's social media or well, whatever else, I'm on
1: Twitter, so they can always follow me, <laughs> Selena Robinson. Um, but also, we have a 30-point housing plan that I, we put together uh, as a government. Um, it's mostly through um, work that I'm doing along with the Minister of Finance, Carol James. Okay. So it's a 30-point plan. So if they want to see all the things that we're doing to to um, to look at uh, demand to to challenge that Mm because that was sort of out of control um looking at supply and right supply and how to support renters and landlords so that we have a fair system so there's 30 different actions that we've been taking as a government and so um there's there's that people can follow that there but they can also go onto the bc house the um, bc housing website that uh details all the social housing that that we're, we're we're doing through bc housing and so that's where they can find some of the details there
0: Awesome. Well, I have to say you're the first cabinet minister I had on the show, the first MLA, in fact, and uh, I really do appreciate your time and, and I appreciate you really uh, unpacking this very complicated issue that affects all of our communities. So thank you so much.
1: You're very welcome. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, she is the BC Minister of Municipal Affairs and Housing. She is the Honourable Minister Selena Robinson. And I am Mo Amir telling you that in a city where you can be anything, be colorful. Peace.